I used to be against facial hair, but then it grew on me. So, <laughs> Pastor John was in Walmart a couple of weeks ago. He told me this, told us this story, so I just assumed that I had permission to share it. <laughs> um, he, he, he was in Walmart a couple of weeks ago, and this guy passed him. This is a true story. He had a, a cart full of tires. Like he had four different tires all in one cart. Pastor John said, hey, man, you tired? And the guy stopped and looked back at him and said, you must be a dad. You must be a dad. Hey, I got a couple of dad jokes for you. They're biblical dad jokes, so just roll with me for a second. <laughs> My wife didn't think they were funny, but I do. So, um, number first one is where where was Solomon's temple? Where was Solomon's temple? It was on the side of his head. If you know the answer, don't ruin it for your neighbor. Okay, especially if you've already been in service. Okay, so <laughs> where was? <laughs> where I didn't say anything. Where? Why didn't uh, Noah like to play cards on the ark? Why didn't Noah like to play cards on the ark? Because there were too many cheetahs. Um, who was? <laughs> it's gonna be great. Who was the shortest person in the Bible? Shortest person? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So it was actually Bildad. He was a shoe height. He was shoe height, and that. A real tribe, apparently. What kind of person was Boaz before he got married? Boaz before he got married. He was ruthless. It was absolutely. You got a little. <laughs> Most of the ladies aren't really laughing, and the guys are like turning red. Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? The greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the whole house down. Why did. <laughs> I like it when only like three people legitimately laugh and everybody else is like, it's terrible. <laughs> Why did Samson not argue with Delilah? Because he didn't like to split hairs. He would lose his, yeah. So who was the servant of God who was the worst lawbreaker? The worst lawbreaker. It was Moses. He broke all the Ten Commandments at once. And finally, finally, what kind of car did the disciples drive? kind of car did the disciples drop? They drove a Honda because the Bible says that they all gathered in one accord. <laughs> Those are great, right? Hey, so on a serious note, um, that, so, so dads are important. Dads are important. I'm going to preach a message today called Forged. Forged. Dads are important. But listen, guys, uh, ladies, dads are not the only ones who are important. Father figures are important. Spiritual fathers are important. Hey, spiritual mothers are important. God still has a plan, and God still has a purpose. Uh, if Father's Day doesn't mean what it means to some people for you today, you're going to find significance in the celebration of this day before you leave here. Uh, I heard this story. Dr. Brian Jarrett shared this story. I was listening to uh, his message on the influence of a father, and he shared that on July 2nd, 1937, some of you will recognize some of this, the United States government decided to place a centennial guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And since July 2nd of 1937, there has been a centennial guard, some of the U.S. Army's best, standing 24-7, seven days a week. The only time that they leave is for the changing of that guard. They have not left that post since July 2nd, 1937. It has been guarded and protected since the day 
that those people were positioned in that place. In 2003, you may remember Hurricane Isabel coming out of the Atlantic Ocean and onto the eastern shore. It was going to hit Washington, D.C. and go into the state of Virginia. And at Arlington Cemetery, they were going to experience some very devastating weather. In fact, the, um, the forecast for this storm was so great that the president and the cabinet, all of Congress, judiciary branch as well, they went underground, they went undercover, they were protected from the storm. And it was the first time in history that the Centennial Guards were given the opportunity to stand down. And they refused. In the face of hurricane-type rain and winds, they refused to leave their post. They refused to stand down. When 16 people in the state of Virginia lost their lives and 6 million people were without power. When every branch of the United States government took cover and was guarded and protected, the Centennial Guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier stood through the storm because that's what soldiers do. They assess the situation, acknowledge the danger, and they refuse to step down from their post. Later, it was quoted, this story came out, and a man was quoted to have said this. He said, if the soldiers can stand guard at the tomb of an unknown dead man, then how much more important is it that I stand guard over the living? Dads are important. Spiritual fathers are important. Father figures are important. Can I tell you the day that I stand as a 36-year-old husband and father, most importantly, son of God, and I've had a, a great biological father. He was a way better dad than he was a husband, but he was a great daddy. We had a great time. We played catch, and he, he, he shut down his weekend every time that I came over, and he invested a ton of time into me. We made up for lost time, uh, and I had may I say, an even greater stepfather. And I say that because it's one thing to be a biological father and love your son, but it's another thing to look at a young man that's not yours and treat him as if he is. And I can see the heart of God in what my stepfather did for me as we are joint heirs with Jesus, adopted into sonship, just as he took me in as his own. But my father and my stepfather were not the single most important or single most influential men in my life. They were influential, but they were not the single. They were not alone. See, I had pastors, and I had coaches, and I had fathers of my friends that I would watch, and I would learn from, and I would listen to, and at times I would even exemplify from their example. Dads are important, but spiritual fathers, coaches, pastors, men of God in the house of God, women of God in the house of God, spiritual parents and spiritual figures are just as important as my father figures were. Denzel Washington, in an interview recently, he was asked, do you think we've made any headway in our legal system, in our nation? 
And Denzel Washington responded, he said, I believe it's more important that we make headway in our own house and let Washington worry about Washington. President Obama was credited with the quote that the number one problem facing this nation is not what you may think, but he actually said it is the breakdown of the family. And I'm not going to go any further into other things that he said. He should have stood on that statement and left the rest alone. But he is right in acknowledging that the number one problem in this nation is the breakdown of the family. You see, a child raised without a father or a father figure is less likely to be temporarily or eternally successful according to statistics. Our district attorney, Charles Cravens, I heard him this past week. He said that statistically in the state of Louisiana, 34.4% of the children in the state of Louisiana live in fatherless homes. In 2016, 35% of children under the age of 18 in the nation lived in a single parent home. 25% of the children in the U.S. live in households with a mother alone. That's 18 million children who live without a father figure in their home. Additionally, father-only households were noted at just 8%. According to what can the federal government do to decrease crime and revitalize communities from the U.S. Department of Justice, children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of homeless and runaway youth, 85% of all children that exhibit extreme behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, 71% of high school dropouts, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse programs, and 75%, 75% of those who commit acts of sexual misconduct were motivated by displaced anger and aggression due to a father home. Young boys who have a father figure on the other end are less likely to act out, and young girls are often more confident. See, the greatest voice in a young man or a young woman's life is a spiritual or a figurative father figure. Men, these statistics tell me this. Now, I, I'm going to be careful today because I need you to understand, and let me say this statement, we, I believe we are called, we are called to have spiritual influence. A father helps establish a sense of security, and it guides children to make wiser decisions. He, I believe we are called to have spiritual, I believe it is our calling can you click on the next slide? We are called to have spiritual influence. And, and, and hear me, I'm not here. It, is, it has become kind of the theme over the years. Um, at least we're becoming aware of it, even if it wasn't in your church. Uh, but that on Mother's Day, the pastors will get in the pulpit, and man, we, everything is so gracious and so kind and, and so loving. And then, and then on Father's Day, we get in the pulpit, and it's just this berating bashing Bible beatdown where we let you know how terrible you are and, and give you no hope as you leave. And so that is, that is not my objective today. In fact, um, it, 
according to psychology, most men, uh, there's an exception to every rule. And, and so, ladies, if your husband happens to be the exception, there is, a, there is within us, within our DNA, this protection mechanism. Like it's, it's in us to protect. It's, it's, it's in us to provide security. In fact, if we don't feel like we're fulfilling that void, it is in us to protect ourselves. That protecting, protection mechanism comes to protecting of self. And so I say that um, to, to maybe help some, some significant others this morning, maybe even some mothers, certainly some wives, um, some mamas of, of young men. We actually don't respond very well. Uh, we don't respond very well to being attacked or criticized. That's, that's actually not the way to get us to do something. I mean, how many of you would admit that it's probably safe as a, as a male that I stand in the pulpit on Mother's Day and I don't preach at you like I would preach to the men on Father's Day? Like, I should cover that in grace more so, like, that's a healthy thing for churches. Like, if I just get up here next year and I just let you have it, like, that's not going to go well, right? Okay, well, the same can be said on the other end of the spectrum, that if, if all a man ever hears is what he does wrong, then he will just revert to the things that he's actually confident in. He will revert to the things that he feels good about doing right, so he'll work harder away from home. He'll spend more time when he gets home. He'll go do things that he's good at, that he enjoys, because he will revert when he, all he hears is what he's doing wrong. He will revert to what he is doing right. And it's just, it's just natural. It's just in us. And so actually we respond more to affirmation. Like um, this is not everybody, okay? So if you're married to somebody and there's a sound in the middle of the night, and, and they hand you the bat and they say, hey, I went last time, it's your turn. You know, you may have a problem. Like, you may be the exception. Okay, but for the rest of us, we've got this protection mechanism. And predominantly, although we would never admit it because we want to give the perception that we're hard as a rock, that we're solid, and that we can handle whatever comes at us. That's the perception that we want to give. But, but actually underneath, like in our composition, we, we, we are better at being affirmed. Like if you watch a young man who sees a young woman and begins to notice her for the first time, he will begin to try to impress her. And then he knows that he is impressing her if she begins to affirm him. Okay, like what you need to understand is no matter how old we get or how big we get, whether it's taller or wider, come on somebody, however we grow, okay, we are all really just 13-year-old boys in bigger, older, uglier bodies. That is the absolute fact, okay? And so if all we ever get is attacked and criticized, then we're just going to protect ourselves. But, but what you need to understand is if we're affirmed, it's actually affirmation that inspires us to action, as young men, it's affirmation that aspires us to action. And we may act tough, but when it comes down to it, we still want to impress you just as much as we used to, and possibly even more. And we need to think, even if we're not really. You can trick us. 
by letting us think that we're impressing you. For instance, like if my wife comes home with some really heavy stuff that she had somebody else load for her, and she gets one bag, and then I come in and I've got two bags. If she doesn't acknowledge that I got two bags, I'm going to sit down on the couch and go back to what I was doing. But if she looks over at me and says, whew, I didn't know you could carry two bags. I'm going to put those bags down. I'm going to go back outside. I'm coming back in with four. I might be dragging across the floor, but if I am affirmed, it will inspire me to action. Let me use one more example just to prove my point. I have never, not one time in my life, heard a woman yell to her husband, hey, baby, watch this. Y'all don't do that. That's us. That's us. We do that. So being attacked is not always the answer. But guys, listen to me. We have to understand, even if we feel attacked, that we have spiritual influence that not only this nation needs, but that this church needs. We are called to have spiritual influence. Guys, listen, in this house, and let me say this carefully, but folded arms is not a position of worship. Uh, a, a, a tucked down chin and a frustrated face is not a position of worship. That's not a posture of praise. In the middle of a worship set or outside of the sanctuary. I'll give you an example last week, actually, and I asked permission to share this one. Pastor Dylan was watching a young man, and this young man was an adolescent, and he looked up. And he was watching the band, he's kind of looking around, and then all of a sudden he looked at his daddy. And he saw his daddy with his eyes closed and his hands raised, worshiping his, his heavenly father. And that young man looked at his daddy and looked back up at the stage. And all of a sudden, Pastor Dylan watched this whole thing play out. Like the dad didn't even know this was happening. Pastor Dylan watched this whole thing play out. He looked at the young, and, and all of a sudden that young man, the adolescent standing there, he, he just went like this. And he lifted his hand. He was like, am I doing it right, you know? And, and would he have done that if that would have been his mother, maybe? But, but the fact that he saw his daddy, his father, maybe even just a father figure, a spiritual father. You know why I worship the way that I worship? It's not to be seen, but it's that I know you need to see. Because I don't want my children to think that expressing worship is something that effeminate men do. I don't want my children to think that expressing worship, because love is not a feeling, it's an action. And it is expressed in way more than just an emotion. I don't want my children to think that worship being physically expressed is just something that women do. Because if I don't set the example in the sanctuary and certainly even more in society, then my son may grow up thinking that affection can only come to pass if it is 
if it is effeminate. My son may make the mistake of thinking that compassion can only come to pass if it's effeminate. My son may make the mistake of thinking that expressing emotion, then letting the redeemed of the Lord actually say so, becoming part of the people that actually cry out, becoming part of the praise and the ones that clap their hands and the ones that sing their love unto the Father. He may make the mistake of thinking that is just an effeminate action and the only way that he can express that action is if he becomes effeminate. So no wonder we have so many worship leaders across the nation, not ours, thank God, but this effeminate spirit trying to sneak into the church because the young men haven't been seeing the older men they think the only way that they can worship the way that they read about is if they become like her. See, we, we have an issue, not just in our society, but God has an answer. He's always had an answer. Again, the encouragement today, the inspiration is not for you to leave here condemned but for you to be convicted in a moment and to change and make adjustments into what not just you do or how you behave, but under the influence in which you have. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. He's the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. He's not partial and he takes no bribe. Verse 18, in other words, you can't fake this thing. Verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner. He's giving food and clothing in the places where it's needed most. In other words, no matter your situation this Father's Day, no matter what has happened in your life up to this point, as a man or a woman of God, what you need to understand is that there is a special grace in place for those who are weary specifically on this day. There is a special grace in place for the woman who is weary on this day. There's a special grace in place for the husband who is weary on this day. There's a special grace in place. Just because you came from it doesn't mean that you have to stay in it. Come on, somebody. Your past does not dictate your future. Your heavenly Father does. And if you're in him, it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters who you're with and where he's taken you. He's father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, verse 3 says it this way, Let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad. It doesn't say let him who has a perfect family and as many children as they want and whom's quiver is full. It just says let the godly. Just let the godly rejoice. Let that person be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled. Watch this. Let them be filled with joy. Verse 4, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. His name is Yahweh, Jehovah, from everything that is and was and is to come. Rejoice in his presence. Verse 5, he's father to the fatherless and defender of the widows. This is God 
whose dwelling is holy. Now, how is he father to the fatherless? Does he just come down and take over? In what way does he reveal his fatherly nature? That he is perfectly holy, heavenly father. How does he make that happen? Well, we see an example of how he might make this come to pass in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You can go and read the story on your own. I'm just going to give you some highlights. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see that Samuel would go to a man named Jesse. Now, Jesse was in the line of Jesus himself, and Jesse had eight sons. And Samuel said, bring me your sons. And so Jesse brought seven sons, the oldest, the best-looking the firstborn, just like me, he stood <laughs> before the man of God. Jesse positioned his oldest son, Eliab, and then he lined up his other six sons. But you notice that I said he had eight sons. Samuel went down the line. Some of you know the story. Don't get lost. Hang on. Just because you know it, let's find something new today. Samuel went down the line, and he, he said no to this one, and he said no to this one, and he said no to this one. Why? Because the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that God says, I have chosen. I have chosen. And see, God, in that day, in that moment, even though Jesse only brought seven, God knew all eight. Even though Jesse lined up his favorite sons, God remembered the forgotten son. See, there was an eighth son. And I, man, I could preach this for way too long, so just hang in here with me for a second. I'll try not to. But David was his name, and he was out in the field. And the Bible says that David was out in the field, and he was just tending sheep. See, the other sons, they were strong. They were warriors. They were soldiers. They were at the house. They were working for and with their earthly father. But David was out in the field forsaken, possibly forgotten. And he wasn't serving just his earthly father. Come on, somebody. He was serving his heavenly father. So while they were soldiers for the cause of the nation, David was a shepherd for just a few sheep. And God says, I have chosen. You think I need your sons? I have a shepherd. This is a message for the nation. God doesn't need the sons of the United States. He doesn't need the fathers to get back in the house. See, Washington thinks it's all about getting the fathers back in the house. No, no, no. It's about getting the Father back in the hearts. See, in the Bible, in the Bible, we can see this happen time and time again. When the men of God stopped doing the work of God, God raised up a woman to take his place. See, I've always been offended. I told you there's something for everybody. I've always been offended. Why does the Bible call me the bride of Christ? They're not a woman. I'll be like the tuxedo of Christ you know I mean something cool like she was the bride of Christ now I cried when she came down the middle but it's really never mind so I'm like, why am I the bride of Christ and when I I'm, I just thought about this in first service today and I shared it when I'm, I'm I, this is Chris okay this is not biblical absolute but what I'm seeing here is this spiritual influence being passed 
since in the nation of America we have this we have this fatherhood issue we have this father figure issue God is saying you know what I don't need the fathers I don't need the sons I don't need the men I'm gonna raise up a bride I'm going to anoint a bride and they shall be called the children of God I know that this nation is experiencing pain but I have a plan and the plans name is the church the plans name is the bride so what they can't get out there they can come and receive here what they can't sense out there they can come and sense in here what they can't see out there they can come and see in here because we've got spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who are spiritually anointed to operate in the authority of which Jesus gave them we may just be adopted come on somebody but just because we're adopted doesn't mean we're not heirs to the same authority Authority to the same of that which he has already purchased. I may be adopted, but I'm still an heir. And when David's earthly father left him out, come on, somebody, his heavenly father lifted him up. When his earthly father forgot that he was a son, his heavenly father remembered that he was a shepherd. See, Eliab thought he was tough. Come help me. He thought he was solid. He thought he was strong. But see, when you think you're hot stuff, all the devil has to do is find somebody hotter. When you think you're strong, all the devil has to do is find somebody stronger. When you're confident in yourself, all the devil has to do is present somebody who's more confident in themselves. When you think you're big, all the devil has to do is present somebody bigger. So when David got to the battle, Eliab wasn't standing on the battlefield. He was standing on the sidelines. And Eliab still had the audacity to ask David, what are you doing here? You're just a shepherd. you just supposed to be keeping the sheep who's watching the field. See, Eliab had already forgotten that the man of God came in the place of God. How has God become the father to the fatherless? He sent a spiritual father. He sent a father figure to be the example that his earthly father couldn't accept in that moment. And when his older brother thought he was strong and thought he was tough because David had already been forged, the fire that caused his brother to melt back and to drift back, to sit back and to watch the enemy begin to have his way against the army that was supposed to be anointed what I'm saying is I understand that society is turning up the heat and if we take substance in our own strength then we're just gonna be melted back layer by layer by layer if we take source in our own ability in our own desires and in our own fulfillment then we're gonna revert back to our own protection mechanisms but when we've already been through the fire and we've allowed God to forge us into something that is even greater than what we were created to be now and only now can we actually accomplish his will and be the men and the women of God that take the place of the absent first Corinthians chapter 3 says no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid 
in Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation of gold or silver or precious stones, now watch the comparison. Those are all metals. And when fire hits metal, it's purified. Versus wood and hay and straw. See, when fire hits that, it's burned up. So the fire of God either purifies or it punishes. And whether the fire of God purifies you or punishes you is completely up to you. It's completely up to me. It's how I position myself before him. Am I confident in who I am? Or am I like David? And I'm just confident because of whose I am. See, you don't have to be confident in what you've done or who you are whenever you know what he did and whose you are. David didn't come and say, hey, I killed a bear. Come on, Pastor Dylan told us last week. He didn't come and say, I've been out in the field and a lion attacked a sheep. I'm ready. I'm anointed. I'm prepared. I've been fighting. No, he said, the Lord delivered me from the lion and the Lord delivered me from the bear. So he stood in the face of the giant and he said, you might come at me with everything that the world has to offer, but I come at you by the spirit that actually gives me the strength to kick your tail and get you out away from the people of my heavenly father it's his purpose it's forged verse 13 says each one's work will become manifest every single action every single inaction will become manifest for the day will disclose it how because it will be revealed by fire the fire will test it what sort of work each one has done it'll be tried it'll be forged see before we can build anything that lasts before we can hold anything together before we can develop faith that can withstand, we have to be forged. We have to go through the fire. Jesus, the Son of God, he was silent like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was forged. He ended up on the cross and he declared it is finished and when he came down they put him in a grave but three days later because he'd been forged the Bible says he descended into the core of the earth he faced the fire he faced the best that the enemy had to offer he faced the strongest temptation that the devil could develop he faced the greatest moment that the world had to try to hold him down and yet because of who he was and what he was willing to do he was forged in the face of the fire and on the third day just like today he came out of the grave although he was broken and beaten he became the first of many of many what of many sons and many daughters of many people who would be forged by the fire so that even when the world forsakes them the father can fulfill them and he can use them to accomplish his purpose in 2020 and beyond the church his bride final scripture 
See, people have been getting mad at me because of some things that I've been saying. And that's okay. I knew that was going to happen. Some people have received it really well. And nobody's come and just called me out to my face. But I'm sure they wanted to. Because of something that we may have been focused on. But please understand that just because I focused on one thing doesn't mean I'm forsaking the other thing. Because in the video that we've been showing for the last two weeks and we'll finish up with next week, there's been this scripture that I believe is the actual answer to everything that's going on in this and around us. See, the church has become better at being annoyed than being anointed. See, we're better at complaining about what's happening in our world than contributing to the answer that could cause them to turn back to God that created the world. And when we stop being outerly influenced, like Eliab, and we begin to be inwardly convicted, like David, then the church can become part of the solution instead of adding to the stagnation. The psalmist wrote, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus today, in chapter 139, verse 23, he said, search me. It's a great thing to pray every day when you wake up. Every time, I, I dare you, every time you get mad to pray this, I dare you every time that you get ready to post something to pray this. I dare you every time that you get ready to say something or to do something, pray this. Search me. See what my composition is. Search me, oh God. Know my heart and my thoughts. Not just what I show people, but what I think about people. <laughs> Not just what people get to see, but what I've been thinking. Know that. Verse 24, but please don't leave me that way. See if there be any wicked way in me. And now lead me. See, that's the answer. That's why you don't get to walk out of here condemned today, no matter your situation, your past, maybe even your current circumstance or present issues. You don't get to walk out of here the way that you came in because you've been in the presence of a perfectly holy, heavenly Father. Lead me in the way forever, forever. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, I thank you for your word that it does not return unto you void. We've already prayed that it would go out, and now we're asking that it would produce what you sent it forth to accomplish in our hearts. I pray that every follower of Jesus in the room right now and listening online right now, God, would pray this prayer. Search me. Show me, Lord. Like, know my heart. Know my thoughts. Try me. If necessary, try me by fire.
forge me mold me into your image into your likeness I don't want to be confident in who I am I want to be confident in whose I am I believe I believe God show me how I can be more like you show me how maybe I have been disobedient by acts of omission things that you wanted me to do that I just refused to do show me how I've been covering my insecurity with false overconfidence but God you know me search me with every head bowed and every eye closed the most important thing we'll do today is offer the opportunity for somebody who doesn't feel close to God somebody who feels far away from God somebody that's not confident in who they are in Jesus right now to offer you the opportunity to simply surrender your life to him because he purchased your life he paid for your forgiveness he doesn't want you to just walk alone he wants you to walk by faith but all that faith requires is that you follow him church I want to help you today I want you to help us if you're in the room if you're listening online we believe that your salvation journey begins with a simple confession. All you have to do is ask because the forgiveness is already available. All you have to do is receive because the salvation has already been paid for. So if I'm talking to you and you need to receive salvation today, if you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus just right where you are, I want to invite you to open up your hands. And I want you to use the eyes of your spirit to look in the face of your perfectly holy heavenly father. And now use your words and use your mouth. Church, come on, let's help them. Let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I've forgotten, where I've forsaken. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Save me. Come into my life. I believe you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You were raised from the dead so that I could live with you on earth and eternity. Take my life. Make it yours. I surrender all. I will follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, can somebody give God praise this morning?